Australia. Welcome to the Stand Up Australia podcast. Stand Up Sits Down with a contrarian conversation rebutting the mainstream narrative. Each week we discuss and deconstruct the most relevant news stories in Australia and around the world that you may have missed during the past week and separate the BS and propaganda so you can make better decisions about which way you want to go politically and personally. We're now on video on Rumble and YouTube until we get kicked off YouTube, obviously. Uh, so please visit the links below, subscribe, click the like button so more people can join in on the fun. Uh, we're also live streaming for the first time right now on Rumble. So uh, obviously if you're watching the, the recording of this, that's not going to mean anything to you. But uh, next time, join in. So I just want to go through some upcoming events we've got at Stand Up Australia before we get started today with the lovely Robin Shooter. So our new theme of the month uh, is called Paw Patrol and it's helping your pets thrive. So our first event of this theme will be on the 14th of June, 8 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time with a not so common common sense approach to pet health with author and veterinarian of 40 years, Dr. Claire Middle. So the links to the events are in the show notes of today. I've also just got the screen on the right here. So what you can do is you can go to live events and you'll see a link here you can just click on that and then that'll take you to register and there you go that's how easy it is all right so today as i said we've got robin shooter on the show um how are you robin i'm well i'm well i was just wondering you know when you mentioned we're on YouTube until we get thrown off. Are you throwing down the gauntlet? Like, is that a challenge? Let's, <laughs> let's, see, how, let's see how far we can go into this until we say, say something that gets us thrown off YouTube. I mean, if so, challenge accepted. Well, pretty much. Like, you know, we uh, I thought the, the first two videos would have been thrown off. But I have noticed YouTube hasn't been as strict lately with a lot of the podcasts I listen to. Like Jimmy Dore, mm. he seems to be getting a little bit more you know, into vaccine stuff these days and he hasn't been banned yet. So... Um, yeah. But I did upload Alex Zek, um interview with him that I did a while while back last year to that, and that got banned within a couple of hours. I think it was. So yeah, so that was pretty interesting. <laughs> <laughs> didn't take long at all. No, yeah. certainly didn't. But so today on the show we've got a, we've got four stories as usual, um, three Australian, one from the world, which is actually pretty Australian too, to be honest. So the first story we've got is government censorship in overdrive. From COVID to men breastfeeding, nothing is off the table. Prison time possible for anybody caught protesting the wrong way in South Australia. Anthony Albanese aims to make cost of living crisis worse by ramping up immigration. And our last story is the WHO gets serious about its power grab with international treaty. But wait, there's more. So let's get started with the first story here, Robin. And we have at the top here, we've got New South Wales Health, Health <laughs> New South Wales Health erased data used in weekly COVID surveillance reports. So you would have seen these surveillance reports coming out, which were pretty damning towards the, the whole rollout of the vaccine. Um, I'll read the first few paragraphs here. So like many Australians cooped up during COVID lockdowns, Xin Yin Ui found herself obsessed with weekly updates from the health authorities, pouring over case numbers, vaccinations, hospitalizations, and death, as we did, as all we did. 
as a data analyst, the Sydney woman is naturally in interested in detailed statistical breakdowns provided in New South Wales Health's uh, weekly surveillance report. So when she noticed a strange figure on one table, she decided to request the underlying numbers to check the work for herself. The only problem, the data had been erased. So the data she was looking for here was from January. Um, I've got the... So... Yeah, so she'd asked the New South Wales Health to provide patient-level de-identified data which underpinned two tables in the surveillance report published in the first week of February 2022. Table 5 of that report was a breakdown of hospitalizations, ICU admissions, and deaths between November 26, 2021 and 5th of February 2022, sorted by vaccination status, one, two, three, or more effective doses, or no effective dose. So what they had done here um, is they've deleted all the information, um, if you read further here, about anybody who, that what they've done it, with the data she, she requested was they've deleted any data that was less than two vaccinations. So whether you've had one or zero vaccinations, they've deleted that data. And they say well, they don't they have it. That. They didn't need that. I mean, and, and you and you don't need to see it, Pleb. We're, we're from the government and we tell you what data are going to be available to you and what you're allowed to do with them. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy because this is, there's a video here that they've put on this website from January 2022. I'm going to play this video and then I'm going to look at the data to, we can see if Brad Hazard was telling us porcupines. And the New South Wales government is pleading with people to get their COVID booster vaccinations as soon as possible. 47% of the eligible population have received their third jab. Of the 191 people in intensive care, 50% are unvaccinated, despite the unimmunised comprising less than 5% of the population. Authorities are concerned about low vaccination rates in northern New South Wales. In Lismore, of course, we know that uh, on one day this week we had six people in the intensive care unit and all six were unvaccinated. You can't get a clearer message than that. To the disbelievers, the disbelievers that we still have in New South Wales, wake up to yourselves. The world is telling us this virus will keep killing us and keep putting us in hospital unless we get vaccinated. Okay, so pretty interesting stuff there. Um... We've got Brad Hazard and that news guy. Disbelievers. Yeah, disbelievers. The, the disbelievers. Is that like infidels, heretics, <laughs> unbelievers? It's a lot worse than that. We're, we were a lot worse than that, us disbelievers yeah. during the crisis. It's, it's, it's just stunning, though, isn't it? I mean, we're, we're kind of far enough down the track from that particular manifestation of COVID insanity that it's it's sort of it's got the power to shock me once again the way the way that this was so obviously framed in religious terms and and how if you if you had not bought into the cult you really really were treated as a heretic i mean disbelievers anyway so now and the point being yeah well the gaslighting itself is just amazing like the fact that they're still doing it and oh, i've got a boy outside my window now i'll just close that um and so the data actually showed something different, I gather you're about to say. So this is the data they're talking about. So this is 2 January 29th. And on the news here, they're saying 50% of all cases in there were non-vaccinated, which was amazing because it's only 5% of the population. So as you can see here, we have unknown 1.4% of them were um, 
in the hospital after being infected. So look, these numbers are all pretty similar. The only one that's not similar is after one dose, you seem to get COVID, you know, 150% more often um, mm. or end up in the hospital a little bit more often. Um, so hospitalized and in ICU, you can see here that they had no effective dose was 106. Two effective doses was 562. So that's mm. a long way off what they were saying the 50% of cases were in the hospital were unvaccinated at the time. And are that's- you, Are you telling me that, that health hazard lied? Oh no, I'd never, I'd never say that. <laughs> He's a stand up guy, you know what I mean? So, and as you know, the unknown cases here, um, they are, what are these? Are these <gasps> people that have been vaccinated? Are these, the, are these the, the unknown cases that have just you know, magically being sort of deleted from New South Wales health, New South Wales health data. Yeah, here's here's the thing. I mean, in Australia, as as you know, uh, everyone has a Medicare card, and every medical service that you uh, receive, you know, there's there's basically there's linked databases. We we have the Australian what started out as the Australian Childhood Immunisation Register. That's now national, and any, anyone who receives a vaccine, like that's their, the uh, immunization register is linked to your Medicare card. So I can't, I, I don't know how we even have an unknown category. Such a thing should not exist. Even if you got your, um, your jibby jab in a pop-up clinic or at a pharmacy or, or whatever, it, you're, you're still, um, the, uh, the fact that you got that is still recorded in the Australian Immunisation Register, which is linked to your Medicare card. Um, the other thing that I want to say is this effective dose nonsense. Um, I think most listeners are probably aware, but let's let's just spell this out. So you're, you're classed as unvaccinated unless you're two weeks past the the first dose, in which case you're then classed as partially vaccinated. Mm. So this, this effective dose rubbish means we don't count it as effective until you're two weeks past that. Now, it's it was known from quite early on that, that there is immunosuppression that occurs, particularly after the first shot. And so the lymphocyte count, the, the white blood cells that, um, that, that are primarily tasked with fighting viruses, the lymphocytes actually drop after, after both shots, but it's particularly noticeable after the first. And so there's a two-week period after people have had these shots where they're actually more susceptible to, you know, in theory, any any infection, any viral infection anyway. So talk about smoke and mirrors, you know. Uh, people without effective doses. Oh, you mean people who got jabbed up, but it was only like 10 days ago? That's what that's what the no effective dose means. Yeah, it's interesting too when you do look at the, the data or the, the data the uh, government gives you anywhere where you see... The amount of people that got a first dose and then got a second dose you know mm. they say fully vaccinated two doses something like 92 percent but there's only like 90 percent of people got the first dose so there's like this two percent discrepancy there what happened to those what happened to those two percent people did they die did they did they get so severely injured they couldn't go for their second yeah yeah or did they get COVID and, and they just they just thought well this thing doesn't do anything so <laughs> So I think I'll pass on shot number two. Yeah, but again, I mean, these these data are being withheld from us. And, and that, of course, is is the property of the public. Those data are the property of the public. So it's just outrageous that, that this um, Ms. Ms. 
um, sorry, I, I, I won't attempt to pronounce her last name because I'll butcher it. Anyway, so, so this particular data analyst um, had to essentially um, uh, issue a freedom of information request or, or the mm. equivalent to get this right. She did, but as you see here, it says earlier this month, the New South Wales Civil and Administrative Tribunal, NCAT, ruled in favour of New South Wales Health in a freedom of information battle. So mm. they didn't give her any more information after that. So, yeah, and that's, so that's just extraordinary. That is just extraordinary. In other words, NCAT is, is basically siding with the government in saying, you know, the citizens, the plebs are not entitled to, to get these, you know, to, to pry these data out of New South Wales health. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty worrying. Um, it just goes to show the censorship, which we will be getting into a lot of in the next few mm. stories as well, which is going mm. on everywhere. Um, so I've got the short video here and this will start like actually our next story as well, which is about censorship. But this is what's going on with our current bodies and I'm going to share my screen again because you won't be able to hear it otherwise um, to do with censorship in regards to social media and medical misinformation coming from the TGA so here we go I'm not aware of anything that, that, that we, uh, we have suggested was dangerous or false that turned out to be correct. Touching on the issue of funding though, um, last week in estimates we learnt for a freedom of information application that the Department of uh, Home Affairs were using their platform to seek, uh, to censor I suppose, or make recommendations to social media companies to censor uh, COVID related posts. They, they say they did so at the behest of the Department of Health. Um, can you tell me whose decision that was, when that began and how much the funding was for that project? So the, there was no funding for the project. Uh, that, that was a matter that was about taking advantage, government made decision to take advantage of a capability that the Department of Home Affairs already had in place to be able to look broadly across uh, social media that they had in place for various uh, security reasons. Uh, we certainly worked closely with them from the Department of Health in terms of the evidence base against which things should be assessed, uh, but there was no sort of um, funding agreement but between they us. They say their funding runs out on the 30th of June. That's funding from a different source? That would be a matter for the Department of Home Affairs. Okay. okay. Uh, and whose decision was that to, to commence that project? That to, to utilise that system with the Department of Home Affairs? I actually can't recall exactly where the decision came from, but mm. we could check. Mm. Sorry, it was during the peak of pandemic. Mm. This sort of happened. I think, I think, Sandra, we were concerned. Isn't it funny how nobody can remember anything? Yes, I can't recall. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't recall that. Then, yeah. Uh, about clear misinformation being uh, promoted in social media and other channels. Information that on the, the balance of scientific evidence was clearly incorrect and frankly dangerous. Yes. So, so I, I don't think we don't apologise for no. wishing to, uh, certainly there's a fine line as I'm sure you're aware between people, you know, a community member expressing an opinion and someone oppressing, expressing under the guise of scientific knowledge completely <coughs> erroneous material. So we don't apologise for wishing to, to not have uh, frankly 
incorrect and dangerous materials. Do, do, do you, would you apologise for things that were taken down that turned out to be correct in hindsight? Um, well, I'm not aware of anything that, that, that we uh, we have suggested was dangerous or false that's turned out to be correct. Yeah, I think there were a few. There were some relating to transmission, as we've seen. I think, Senator, we've had this discussion on many occasions. The vaccines uh, early on in the early strains were clearly effective in preventing transmission. As strains evolved, they became much less effective in preventing transmission. The effect in preventing transmission is, is quite small now, but early on in the alpha strain, the delta strain, the, the effect on transmission was probably one of the biggest factors in controlling the delta outbreak in New South Wales in late... That's just rubbish, isn't it? Like Wow. Wow. So you've got Rochelle Walensky coming out in, well, August 2021. Okay. Uh, Rochelle Walensky, of course, now um, former director of the CDC, saying, you know, to the American public, these vaccine vaccines no longer prevent the transmission of of of, of COVID. Um, and, and you've got this guy in front of Senate estimates just lying through his teeth. I mean, I would argue that there was never any evidence for, for prevention of transmission, um, as as you know perfectly well. Well, you don't have it's to argue. Different. It's not even in the Pfizer's, you know, trial yeah. done. No. Okay, there's, there's, a, there's a difference between not, not testing for it, which they clearly didn't, and the thing not not existing right yeah. okay so so you know theoretically even though ne neither pfizer moderna nor astrazeneca actually tested for prevention transmission it, it could still be the case you know in theory that these shots did prevent transmission but there was never any evidence for that i mean at all at all mm. um it's it's absolutely extraordinary they just they just sit in the chamber and they lie they lie and they lie. It reminds me of that Solzhenitsyn quote, you know, they, they lie and we know they're lying and they just continue to lie and we act like they're not. <laughs> Something like that. I'll just put that apology, Solzhenitsyn, but yeah. Yeah, it's, it, I, sorry, I got that wrong. It's not CGA. That's Brendan Murphy, isn't it, from the, yeah. from the government? So, yeah. Yeah. It's just absolute absolute garbage and they keep but they lied about everything i mean they lied about masks being protective they lied about lockdowns being necessary they they just they they lied about the the actual risk of covid they lied about the fact that that uh well they certainly obfuscated the fact that the risk was highly age stratified and when i say risk i mean what are we even talking about right because as pretty much everyone knows by now the the average age of death from COVID is is above the median um age yeah. of death of the population so what did these people die of they died of they they died of old age stuff right like maybe maybe they had pneumonia who who knows because yeah plenty of people had heart attacks or died because they were at the end of the line with dementia or kidney failure or you know getting hit by a truck um um, their deaths were labelled as COVID. So we have no idea what these people died of. But to the extent that, that there were deaths that were attributed to COVID, the age, the uh, the, the risk stratification was, was extreme, you know, a thousand times greater risk yeah. of, of dying of COVID, whatever that is, um, if you were, you know, in, in that older age group, say 70 plus. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I think you see that in that data too from New South Wales. It's why it's so close, you know, whatever... The amount of infections you see, it's always 1% to 1.5%, except for after one dose. Mm. It's because, you know, it's going to be 1% of the population is going to be, um, you know, a little bit a little bit sicker than the, than the rest of us. So they're going to be in hospital anyway. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. And then they're opportunistically tested. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I'll leave that story with a uh, quote from George Orwell, which I've saved here. The past was erased. The erasure was forgotten. And the lie became the truth. And 
I have a feeling that's how this is going to go down. Yeah. Well, who is going to write up the history of this? You know, um, it's why it's so important for us all to be documenting it. Yep. History is written by the winners, so hopefully we can win. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's a lot of waking up to do in the meantime, though, unfortunately. So we go to our next story now, um, and this continues on with the censorship in government and in society in general. So this is from the Daily Mail. It's why you sh- you could soon be jailed for three years for making an offensive Facebook post. Here's what you need to know. So sweeping law could see Australians jailed for three years for posting what's deemed offensive on Facebook in an attempt to protect minority groups. Queensland's Labor government has introduced a bill that would dramatically increase the maximum prison sentence for racist, anti-gay, anti-trans or seriously bigoted statements. Making such statements already carry a minimum six-month jail term, but that would be increased to three years under the new bill. Inflammatory Facebook posts would be a criminal offence with legislation covering any form of communication to the public, including by speaking, writing, printing, displaying notices, broadcasting, telecasting, screening or playing of tapes or other recorded material, or by electronic means. Posting a Nazi symbol on social media or carrying it around publicly will also prompt jail time. So this is, I think it was you that we discussed the the law in Ireland. Was that, yes. was that you were discussing with a couple of, this is essentially the same thing um, mm. without the fanfare that that got. Uh, mm-hmm. So you can now see yourself in jail for three years for, I don't know, what how, how sort of innocuous is the law? Is it is it is it one of these things where, if I say a man is not a woman, is that going to land me in trouble? Well, th- this is the problem with it. Define offensive. What 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 does offensive mean? Like as judged by whom? Um, and if you say something that that you did not mean to be offensive, but someone takes offence, can you then be said to have made an offensive comment? I mean, talk about subjectivity. You know the the, the the reason, like, we, we have legal codes covering things like, oh, I don't know, speed limits. How do I know if I'm speeding? Well, there's a posted speed limit, and if the speed limit sign says 50Ks and I'm going at 60Ks, I'm 10Ks over, I've broken the speed limit, right? So so I know I, I know what crime I've committed. Crime, you know, in inverted commas. Um, <laughs> if I murder someone, they're dead, okay? So I know that I've committed murder. But how, how do you how do you enshrine into a legal code something as subjective as offensive? It's it's just it's beyond it's beyond ridiculous. It, it's it's actually, um, it's uh, it, it it's so it's so bizarre that I just wonder what what are, what are what are law students being taught now, right? Because there's this whole you know subject within within legal studies called jurisprudence jurisprudence which is basically the history of the development of, of, of the law and what what role the law plays in society why we have laws and what what on earth are law students being taught about the law now they're they're going to be you know graduating becoming solicitors you know going to the bench in 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 some cases um with laws like this being on the books and i don't know whether their professors are actually saying to them in class this is really dangerous this is a total slippery slope uh this is like throwing out literally millennia millennia of jurisprudence um establishing completely arbitrary standards it's it's 
<gasps> yeah, it's criminal. <laughs> yeah, it, look, I don't, I don't think they're allowed to say that sort of stuff now. I mean, I saw a, an article which I almost included on the podcast you guys had a couple of weeks ago, which was about a, a uh, lecturer at a university in Australia who is a feminist and basically said, you know, talked about femininity and and what it means in the current world and how a man is mm. not a woman and blah, blah, blah. And mm. she was getting threats. Um, she's getting things plastered all over her classroom. She's basically getting, tr- they were trying to run her out of the out of the university. So um, yeah. when you're in that sort of situation, it's, it's really no wonder that people just go along with it. Exactly, exactly. And then because because most people are too scared to speak up about it and say, no, this is, this is a complete inversion of reality and I will not buy into it, there there is a an image that's projected, projected that, oh, you know, most people in society believe in this, so if you don't, then you're some sort of weirdo, you're an outlier. That's actually not the case at all. I think the vast majority of people know that only only women can give birth to babies and only women can breastfeed babies and i'm i'm of course preempting one of our <laughs> one of our outcomes most people know that to be the case but they're going along with ridiculous uh made up words like chest feeding right and and um considering that it's perfectly okay to to talk about a woman having a penis you know or a man having periods, even though they mm. know that that's ridiculous, absurd, and and as I say, a complete inversion of reality. But yeah, the the image, the 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 notion that you would get if you're watching the news or scrolling through the these sort of carefully curated social media platforms, you know, like Facebook, bit less so Twitter these days, but but especially Facebook, um, you would actually get the impression that the vast majority of people thought that this was legit. Yeah. I don't think they do. They're just too scared to say, this is nonsense and we're not standing for it anymore. Yeah, and like, like we're talking before we started recording about, this is, is this on purpose? Because... Yeah, I yeah. think it is. I have no doubt that it is. I really have no doubt that it is. I mean, look, um, if you... I, I think one of the, one of the most uh, compelling and cogent speakers on this whole phenomenon would be James Lindsay. And he... He really spells this out. Like this, this is postmodernism, which is an offshoot, or I, I suppose you know traces its roots back to Marxism. And the entire philosophy of Marxism is that is that you you create such chaos and um, uh, destruction that that the society that you're targeting for a Marxist revolution collapses, and then into the chaos. You, you step with your Marxist ideology and then you can establish your you know your your socialist utopia so all of all of this um inversion of reality is being done to destabilize people um, to to create conflicts between people and to lay the groundwork uh, you know, to, to to create create this sort of chaos right yeah. um by by upturning everything everything that gives people a sense of stability and security including for god's sake knowing what a woman is and knowing what a man is mm. yeah it's the the trans maoism i've heard that term quite yeah. a few times recently good. where they that's good basically turning the the youth against the parents um yes. they're, they're confusing everything and yep. 
that they're trying to test out how far they can take society with these lies before it becomes a little bit too much and they do that in a certain way they they take it a little bit too far they realize too far yep. they step back a little bit they stay there totalitarian tiptoe yep. yep. and then they go a little yep. bit further and they step back a little bit yep. but as you can see like you just said before the whole the whole aim of this is to get us doing the work of the government Mm. and mm. it's working really bloody well which is why i don't get involved too much in this in this topic because i think it's absolute garbage and i think it's mm. just there made up to to divide us so and i'm not going to contribute to that by you know talking too much about it but i do also at the same point in time which i had a discussion with someone over dinner the other night about about this and i just said this is there to divide us but he said yeah but on the contrary what's happening can't be stood for also we can't have these sorts of this material in schools we can't have it affecting our children mm. which i agree with so it's really hard to really hard to like be a fence sitter in this in this whole debate isn't it yeah i i really do think so you you have to take a position and and say no i i will not stand for this i will not stand for this i'm not going to have like if you have a child in school and they're they're being presented with this absolute nonsense this this made-up transgender ideology and that's what it is i mean this is just completely invented there there are there are two sexes right sex is binary this um <sighs> Honestly, it's just remarkable that we even have to be having this discussion, isn't it? Um, okay. but, but if your child, if your child is being presented with this absolute bollocks in in school, then you know, as a parent, you need to make a stand. Yes, it's uncomfortable. Um, yes, other parents might mightn't back you at first, at first. But a lot of them, a lot of them are thinking exactly what you're thinking. They're thinking it's totally inappropriate for you know six, seven, eight year olds to be talking about sex. I mean. <laughs> Yeah. Can you imagine? Can you imagine when when you were in school, if your teacher had had um, uh, decided to to come into class one day and announce that you know Miss Miss Hill was now Mister Hill, or you know that uh, that today we're going to talk a, 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 about about various ways that that um, that people can pleasure themselves. I'm sorry, like, it's yeah. not appropriate. No, it's really not. It's if that had happened in a private setting with your children, you would call the police yeah exactly but because at exactly. school people are somehow you know not yeah. everybody but quite a few people are just letting it go like oh that's just sexual yeah. these days you know there's a hoo-ha about this a couple of years ago with the some um you know liberal supporters which at the time you go that's just crazy that's not happening and they and people forgot about it but then it comes back like this and it turns out they weren't they weren't lying about it it was just they were not no, they certainly they were not weren't and yeah. I, I have to say, I was skeptical of it at the time too. This is before before the pandemic. There was before the pandemic. Remember, guys. Oh, it was so, BC. Yeah, BC. yeah, before COVID. <laughs> yep. yep, you bet. Yeah. But on that theme, um, and you were talking about this earlier about this ridiculous story here, and mm. this is a story from Human Events, and it's Australian woman who's censored by Twitter for criticising male breastfeeding, mm. and this goes mm. to show not just this goes to show two things how ridiculous this has gotten but also the power the australian government has and laws that we have that we may not think we have so an australian woman who took issue with the latest trans trend of males breastfeeding newborns has been censored by twitter at the behest of her own government she was told that her tweets opposing male breastfeeding for newborns had violated australian laws 
So I'm not sure if you've heard about laws to do with this sort of stuff. I haven't, but the way the Australian um, whole legal system is working at the moment seems to be really covert, and there seems to be stuff coming in all the time we don't know about. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. When yeah. when was this? Uh, I mean, obviously, it's not us that votes on legislation in a representative democracy. Um, but when was there ever any discussion? Like, what what party what party um, ran for office on a platform of well, look, we're going to bring in laws that say that if you um, if you say that men can't breastfeed, that you've actually committed an offence. Like, what what party ever had that on their platform? We did not vote. For this nonsense this story by the way really breaks my heart because um the australian breastfeeding association which is the the organization that this um jasmine sussex belonged to apparently her her membership is is under question now um that that is a fantastic organization that's been providing support to you know mothers to be and and, and new mothers for i don't know i mean like 40 50 years and a, a fantastic place to get really solid information on on breastfeeding um uh both both for members of the public and for and for health professionals i was a member for for some years you know when when my kids were little and to think to think that they have sunk to this level that's that's just incredibly disappointing you know yeah. i'm sorry but men men can't breastfeed because they do not have the biological equipment no but you know what Again, they're doing there robin they're, they're taking hormones which cause their own nipples to excrete uh, colostrum mm -hmm. and they're calling that breastfeeding it's the it's a selfish selfish thing to do yeah. like i mean that's between a mother and a child like it's the and the, the poor kid you know the the reason the reason why the ABA the Australian Breastfeeding Association um, one of the many reasons why why they have been such um, vocal advocates for for breastfeeding is that Breast milk is, you know, far and away the the best source of nutrition for an infant. In other words, breastfeeding, while it while it certainly does have some advantages for for the breastfeeding mother, um, there are some you know health benefits that women get from breastfeeding. The primary reason to promote breastfeeding is because it is because it, breastfeeding actually promotes better health outcomes for the child. Now, this whole oh men can breastfeed. This is not about the child. This is not about meeting the child's nutritional needs. This is about gratifying the, frankly, um, hello, YouTube senses. This is about gratifying the sexual perversions of men who want to pretend that they're women. It's called autogynophilia, right? Yeah. It's a thing. There are men who get off on either um, fantasizing that they're women or or it, pretending that they're women dressing up as women uh, taking on these sort of exaggerated uh, stereotypical characteristics of women whether it's you know makeup or high heels or all this other you know hoo-ha which despite being female i've never really been into um but but apparently you really get some men off and my god i can't think of anything more um utterly selfish and and frankly perverted than, than men pretending, men taking, as you say, hormones and a whole bunch of medications in order to produce some fluid, which everyone now is supposed to pretend is breast milk. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> it's just great. What? I can't believe we're even discussing this. What, what you... freaking planet are we on, Mitch? Do you remember, do you remember the... What was the um, the movie with Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger where he had a baby? No. Oh, um, no, no. Mr. Mr. Mum or something? I can't remember. Oh, yeah, yeah. I got it. Yep, 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 yeah. yep, yep, yep. And at, yep. The, at the time, you're like, oh, craziness. Mm. You know, that, that oh, it's, it's like it's like the scene in Life of Brian where where Stan wants to be Loretta, yeah. and that immortal line, you know, from John Cleese, like, "You can't have babies, Stan. <laughs> don't you oppress me? Yeah. Where's the fetus going to gestate? You don't have a womb." Do you see that they're making that into a stage show now and they've asked to have that cut out because it's yeah. <laughs> transphobic. Yes, yeah, we. we... We can't make fun of Stan for wanting to be Loretta and wanting to have babies despite the yeah. fact that he doesn't have a womb. Yeah. You, you've got to laugh where you cry with these things, unfortunately. I oh, know. Yeah. I oh, know. But um, mm. just to update on that, the mum of three was sacked from a breastfeeding council job for yep. saying the word mother instead of parent yep. because of the rise of transgender. Yep. So that was yep. Jamie Sussex. Um, that's an update on her. So hopefully there'll be a bit more information on that. It was hard to find anything really apart from the Daily Mail and I think the other site is Jack Posobiec's website. So, yep. Um, but just to really um, to hammer it home, this is a story I found in Zero Hedge this week. And this is the point we're getting with government censorship and also, you know, just the Orwellian oversight that we see. Uh, like totally Orwellian dude, nearly a third of all Gen Z favors government surveillance cameras in every household. So that's Gen Z. So 30% of all, no, sorry, 29% of 18 to 29 year olds say they would favor um, installing surveillance cameras in every household to reduce domestic violence, abuse or other illegal activity. So that's just how brainwashed we see the youth of today is. Mm. Mm. I um reading through that article before we came on today, I was I was really shocked about how the approval of this broke down by by race. And it was actually um black people who had the highest percentage approval of this of this just you know, truly despicable notion. Now that really, really surprises me. Um I don't even know what to make of that. And and Asian people had the lowest approval. So that's kind of like an inversion of what I would have expected. Um but uh yeah, so I, I, I raised the, the spectre of Marxism before. And look, I mean throughout history, uh any any kind of movement that wanted to upend the previous um I suppose social structures or mores or, or practices targeted youth. And so we saw this in in, in China, um, you know, under Mao's Cultural Revolution, young people were recruited and they were encouraged to denounce their parents and their grandparents to reject the the old right everything that was traditional. They uh, and and in many cases, you know, they would even turn their parents in to authorities for for wrong think, you know, to use that Orwellian term, and. Um, so this this is this is just absolutely horrifying. We, we've got a generation of kids, um, well, young adults now, who who actually believe that the state is more trustworthy this is, this is than their parents, right? And that the state should have a window into their into their homes to watch their parents in case their parents commit wrong things by misgendering them or something. My God. <laughs> 
there's your trans Maoism. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's right there, isn't it? It's right there. Oh, it certainly is. It certainly is. Yeah, look, we've got a really um, strong theme of censorship and government sort of, you know, an oversight in this episode. Uh, the next story here um, is about South Australia's proposed new penalties for protesters. So I've got a video here I'll play to start us off. Nope, that's the end of it. <laughs> Pressure is tonight mounting on the Premier to wind back controversial anti-protest laws. The chorus of criticism grows by the day with unions, even a Labor MP, joining a massive rally in the city. Desperate for an 11th hour backflip, hundreds rally against the government's new protest laws. Including some friendly fire. In the crowd, Labor MP Irene Nevmatikos, side by side with her upper house colleagues. It's a free country. Even the AMBOS union, instrumental in getting Labor elected with its ramping campaign, has turned its back on Peter Malinowskis, calling him out for joining its protests in the lead up to the election, including this one in November 2021. Our rallies were big, they caused disruption, they closed roads and they stopped trams. Yeah, but none of them were hanging up upside down from bridges. Fines of up to $50,000 or three months jail for obstructing a public place were rushed through the lower house two weeks ago following Extinction Rebellion's abseiling stunt that shut down the city. It was the opposition's idea and one that's landed the Premier at odds with his own supporter base. Labor's tearing itself apart. I'm just buying some popcorn and watching from the sidelines. And it could be quite the show. Upper House crossbenchers are promising to take tonight's debate into the early hours, with the Greens and SA Best proposing 12 amendments between them. We need to kill this bill. It's a draconian measure. The Premier says he's open to negotiating the wording of the legislation, but not the penalties. We've got our eye on a couple of amendments that we think do no harm to the government's objective through this bill. Knowing with the Lib's support, he has the numbers to pass the law as he sees fit. Andrea Nicholas, 7 News. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. This is very interesting because, of course, as you know, Extinction Rebellion and the other um, uh, groups funded by oligarchs, basically, um, in the UK and Europe, like Just Stop Oil, have basically been given a, a free pass to, you know, throw soup at artworks and, and shut down traffic at peak hour and all this sort of thing. So I just find it really, really interesting that the South Australian government is, is sort of swimming against the tide on this. Now, um, on on the, the notion of, of banning protest, I mean, look, it's really, it's really disturbing. And while I think that Extinction Rebellion um, wouldn't know which way was up, if you, if you actually shut down people's right to protest, what are you doing? You don't live in a democracy anymore. So, yeah, um, I, I guess it's one of those ones where, where, it's uh, there are so many quotes that are attributed to Voltaire that he probably never said, but but you know the the famous quote quote that is attributed to Voltaire. You know I just dis I, I disagree violently with what you say, 
but I, you know, would fight to the to the death to defend your right to say it. Yeah, I love that quote. Yeah, and that's how we all should be. If we were, then we wouldn't have nearly as many problems. Um, mm. So these these laws, old old mate um, Malinowskis, how you say his name, um, he's saying that the laws haven't changed at all. So all they've done is just add more penalties. So, but what they have done here is increase the fine to fifty thousand dollars and up to three years um, jail time. Jail time. So, and he's saying, oh, it's only if you block, you know, a road or really make a nuisance of yourself. But really, that's up to the judicial judicial department to really um, decide, isn't it? Once again, we're we're in the realm of the subjective, and that is a really, really dangerous place to to be enacting legislation. Yeah, and that was so. This um, that clip was before the they went into parliament and discussed it for a fourteen hour session, and this was after that. And they say South Australia well, passes law, so they did okay. pass it. Yeah, yeah it's yep. been passed um, after fourteen hour debate. Nothing's really changed. Um, the thing I would have to say about this is I can imagine the Extinction Rebellion protesters in the photo right here with their masks on were probably some mm. of the same ones who were saying, what are you doing out protesting against COVID mandates? 100%. Blah, blah, 100%. blah. Yep. And what have we yep. always said? This isn't about us. This is going to be about you shortly. They're not going to stop at us. They're going to come after you next. And yeah. this is them coming after them now. 100%. 100% agree with that. I, I would, look, I would also say there, there have been a, a number of incidents with um, Just Stop Oil and Extinction Rebellion um, blockades in either Europe or the UK. Uh, unfortunately, I can't remember which, which it was. But, you know, there, there have been people who died because the ambulance couldn't get through these blockades and, you know, someone who would have survived their heart attack died and that sort of thing. Um, I'm actually in favour of civil suit in that case. Like, if my granny dies en route to hospital because because the ambulance can't get through, I think I should have the right to to sue the people who were, um, you know, who stopped the ambulance getting through. I would note also that the trucker protest in, in Ottawa, they um, very, very intentionally left lanes of traffic free so that emergency services vehicles could pass. So, you know, you can actually conduct a very effective protest without causing this degree of disruption. Now, it is it is the the intent of the likes of Extinction Rebellion to disrupt people's lives. Yeah. To to stop yeah. people from getting to work. And I've I've heard some of these people say that um well, so your granny died on the way to hospital. Do you know how many people are going to die from climate change? You know, don't be so selfish about caring for your granny when all these people are going to die. So, so again, I mean, look, the 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 thinking of these people is, um, let's just say, very distorted, and I. Uh, I, I do think that they should should be held civilly liable for for people whose lives are lost, for instance, because of their because of their um, their uh, protesting actions. Um, but I really do have concerns about government, you know, restricting people's right to protest. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like I agree with you there. Like civil suits, it's very it's a very sort of libertarian um, mindset. You know, it's you don't want the government to intervene in these situations. Should be free to do what you want but if you are free to do what you want you also have to accept the consequences if you, you do have a responsibility yeah yeah yeah, so yeah, I com yeah. completely agree 
Completely yeah, if your action results in, in, in harm to somebody else, then they should have the right to sue you for it. Yep, yep, without a doubt. Look, we'll move on to the next story next. We have gone pretty hardcore with that those first few stories just there. So I've got a quick story about, here about uh, Modi um, and Albanese. So Modi came to Australia, and I'm going to play this clip. We won't spend too long on this because the last story I really want to get into because it is very, very important. So... I'll play this clip down and we'll go from there. A grand welcome for an emerging great power. As India's influence grows, Australia's ties with New Delhi are deepening. Prime Minister Narendra Modi leaning in to the relationship. In the language of cricket, our ties have entered T20 mode. <laughs> Anthony Albanese sees India as a key strategic partner as Australia tries to balance China's growing economic and military might. Quad leaders stand together for an open, stable, secure and prosperous Indo-Pacific region. The two leaders signing a deal on green hydrogen and a pact to make it easier for skilled Indians to migrate to Australia. Those people-to-people -people bonds increasingly at the heart of the political partnership as the diaspora here grows. The Indian community in Australia is a living bridge between our two countries. But the Prime Minister's trip has also opened divisions. Some Muslims in India and Australia accuse Narendra Modi of stoking religious hate at home. It's very clear that he does have blood on his hands. And Mr Modi is pressing the Albanese government to crack down on separatist Sikh groups trying to build support for their cause here. Prime Minister Albanese has assured me he will take strict action against such elements in the future. Australia has pulled out all the stops for Mr Modi, even lighting up the sails of the Opera House and the Sydney Harbour Bridge with the colours of the Indian flag. Australia has much more in common with New Delhi than it does with Beijing, and a stronger India is good for Australia. But the relationship won't always be easy, and navigating it will require some deft diplomacy. Stephen Jedgetts, ABC News. Yes, okay. diplomacy, well, we're screwed then with Albanese in charge. Yeah. I think mean, this shows how much of a beta male um, Albanese is and how, how much he's willing to let go of his, his own sort of convictions just to get into a good deal, which isn't a good deal for Australia. Um, I just want to, I've just got a bit of a, um, a side story here. If you see this, Chris Minns defends decisions not to light up Sydney Opera House to celebrate King Charles' coronation. So right. I saw this last week, but if you see in that, yes. remember that story just then. Oh, interesting, they they'll do it yeah. for Modi. They'll yeah. do it for Modi, but not for the king of yeah. our country. Not that I'm a monarchist, but I think that yeah. probably the king's coronation is probably a little bit more important than pleasing an Indian, yeah. you know, essentially I... a dictator. Um, I just, I just, yeah, exactly. I mean, Modi, uh, let, let's just say he's not running India as a kind of, you know, model democracy. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's deeply disturbing. That's really disturbing. I mean, seeing, seeing um, Albanese crawling on his belly to Bill Gates was, you know, nausea-inducing enough. This, this has just gone next level. Yeah, yeah. It, 
<laughs> he's done it a bit lately. I mean, he's he's doing it with the voice where he's just sort of like saying whatever he has to. Um, he seems oh, it seems like a puppet. What am I saying? They're all puppets, aren't they? But, yeah. Um, he's yeah. The strings are particularly evident with um with Albanese. I mean, he can definitely. barely put three words in a straight line. It, it's it's such an embarrassment, frankly, to have him as our oh. as our you know representative on the world stage. As was the theme at the time. Um, so it was hard not to, this is from the age. So this is a little excerpt from there. This is actually from the age rubbishing this, um, this story too. So it was hard not to stand back and appreciate the contrast. On one hand, Australia is silent on India's persecution of ethnic minorities, its imprisonment of human rights activists, the prospective jailing of the leader of its largest opposition party, its global leadership and internet shutdowns and its targeted political censorship amid a long list of anti-democratic activities listed by Human Human Rights Watch and other organisations, not to mention its neutrality on Putin's war in Ukraine. On the other hand, the boss can raise the graffitiing of temples and receive warm assurances, reassurances, sorry, that it will do better. So willing to overlook all these things um, Mm. while Mm. other countries are allowed to, are not allowed to sort of side with Russia on things. They're allowed Mm. to, uh, as long as we do well financially out of it. And one of these things they're talking about is a, is a, um, a pact to let more Indians into the country to work. Now I have a problem with this because as you can see by our next, um, couple of stories here, we've got a collapse in your home approvals Mm. tip to worsen housing affordability crisis so less homes are being built we've already got a housing crisis we've got a cost of living crisis which isn't going to get any better uh, especially with the if we put more people into the country the rents are going to go up that's going to create more of a crisis and then you have this captain douchebag here talking about how we're going to sort this out and this is um frank is it frank lowy the the rba manager so the um, rba director yeah or was, or was um, it philip, philip low i think frank Phil, uh, the, yeah the billionaire frank frank low is the westfield guy yeah yeah so the whole time the the government's saying no it's not immigration that's causing you know the the increase in housing prices it's not immigration but here's philip low mm. saying something to the contrary And in the in the rental market, the vacancy rates in uh, many cities are very low. Um, I was uh, in Perth earlier in the month, and there, kind of, it's basically kind of you know, almost impossible to find something. Mm. The rental vacancy rate's the lowest it's ever been. Uh, there are a few things that have contributed to that. Mm-hmm. Um, during the pandemic, uh, the average number of people living in each household mm. declined. People wanted more space, they were working from home, rents actually declined for a while, and people said, well, rather than have a flatmate, I'll just have a, you know, a, an office at home. And um, So the average number of people living in each dwelling declined, and that um, increased the demand as a result for the total number of dwellings. So that's, that's been going on. And the other thing that's now happening is a big increase in population. Mm-hmm. The population's increasing by 2% this year. Uh, are there 2% more houses? No, hardly, you know, to, rate of addition to the housing stock is very low. So I've got a lot of people coming into the country. A lot of people, people coming into the country People wanting to live alone or kind of not <laughs> move out of home. And it just doesn't, um, uh, it doesn't work. The, the way that this ends up um, 
fixing itself, unfortunately, is through higher housing prices and higher rents. Because as rents go up, people decide not to move out of home or you don't have that home office, you kind of get a flat which is a Which is a fix that people can only expect to happen over the medium to longer term. It's not a fix that is going to happen immediately. Well, the increase in supply can't happen immediately, mm. but the higher prices higher you know, do can. lead people to economise on, on housing, don't they? Mm. Kids don't move out of home because the rent's too expensive or you decide to get a flatmate mm. uh, or a housemate. Because it's, so that's, that's the price mechanism at work. We need more people, on average, to live in each dwelling. And prices do that. Cool. How dare he use capitalist terminology like price mechanisms when, when we should have you know the government running absolutely everything and planning our economy, which I'm sure they do a bang up job of. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and of course you know everyone's up in arms. Oh no, the Reserve Bank rates interest rates. Yeah, no kidding. Um, when when the government is just spending hand over fist, how else are you supposed to wrestle inflation down? Like I know it's a huge huge problem. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Personal insolvencies. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's the only it's the only mechanism they've got. So, in, in one in, in one aspect, you can't really blame him for doing his job because that's what he's there to do, and that's the only he's thing doing he his can job. Do. The government is not doing its job. Yeah, and they're just trying to palm it off onto him. But I mean, it's yeah. it's it's really yeah. uneducated by him to be. He shouldn't really be talking about the stuff because it just gets him into hot water, and it's just ridiculous. Like, oh, just move in, just get a house, mate. You know, oh, that'll fix it. But. It, this influx of immigration, all these people come. I'm, I'm an immigrant myself, so but I come from New Zealand. Um, you know, That's close, right, close to you. 26 years ago, whatever it was, yeah. and you know, I've, immigration is one of those things that it's it's fueled the world. It's it's been good for mm. the world, I believe. But there needs to be a time where we go, hey, we really need to look after the people of this country first. Yes. Flooding, flooding the country with cheap labour from India is not going to be one of those things that's going to help us here. And as you see here, personal insol insolvencies and business insolvencies have gone up dramatically, looking like about 20 to 30% from February to March. And I, I see that's only going to get worse because I, I do own my own business in hospitality and I'm just seeing places go up for rent everywhere places being leased, um, listed for free online the cost mm. of goods is going up everything's going up and if you're not a savvy operator you will go under and you can see what's going on right here in these figures absolutely and yes i mean the po so so the population is going to increase by two percent in the next year and mm. we already have people you know living out of their cars um Quite literally, I mean, there's a there's a kind of small campground, you know, a couple of k's uh, up the road from me, and there is a bunch of 50, 60 something women who who live in their cars. You, you, you can drive past and see them, you know, uh, any any day of the week, right? These they they're not moving from there. That's where they live now. It it's shocking to see that in our country, you know. <laughs> It really yeah. is. We've got we've yeah. got tent cities in in uh, Brisbane now, like that, underneath bridges and all sorts. So, um, obviously, those sorts of things have always been there. They've just gotten bigger. So, and yeah. I just I can't big. I can't help but think that this is a controlled demolition. Yeah. Well, we we, we get back to the to the to the um, um, Hanlon's razor uh, issue, don't we? Uh, you know, never. What is it? Never ascribed to to malice. What can easily be explained through incompetence. Mm. So, are these people just really bad at their jobs? Um, yeah, I mean, clearly they are. But could could they be so consistently terrible at their jobs? And 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 all of them 
And is, is that really feasible or is this a controlled demolition? And I, I can't see how it's not a controlled demolition. Yeah, I think you can look away once, you look away twice, but if it keeps mm. happening, it's, it's not a coincidence. Yep, yep. All right, so we're going to get on to our last story here, and I really want to get your opinion about this because I, I assume you've been following this with the treaty, the global Endemic treaty. treaty and the from, IHR. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So this is something that has been around for a while, but this is just a – we haven't really spoken about it too much on the, the podcast yet because there is still six months until this is passed, but – uh, well, sorry, I'm not going to say till it's passed, until they want to pass it, should I say. So there's going to be 300 amendments to the treaty, which was last amended after SARS, which was also a man-made virus, if you ask me. Um, I strongly expect that, yes. <laughs> so the headline is from, this is from the Australian newspaper. A parliament that doesn't want to lock down millions of people for 270 days could be viewed as breaking international law under the WHO proposals. So if you thought Australia's response to COVID-19 pandemic was proportionate, rational and cost effective, you'd be happy to know you could experience it all over again in the not so distant future, whether Australians want it or not. When the next pandemic comes knocking, and it will, we must be ready to answer decisively, collectively and equitably, says World Health Organization Director General Tedros Whatever you, however you say his last yep. name, Gabrasis in Switzerland. We know that it will because because we've got our fellas cooking up something in the lab right now. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, as they say, warning world leaders to expect a disease more deadly than COVID nineteen in the coming years. Yeah, so, that that one either sort of got out accidentally or we hadn't quite finished cooking it. So <laughs> next time. <laughs> so I don't know why I'm laughing, but you have to, don't you? Uh, it is pretty crazy. I, I thought I'd. Um, highlighted something here here it is so it gets worse the threshold for declaring an emergency and issuing health orders to member states would be changed from a need to avert public health risks to all risks with a potential to impact public health so this is one of the amendments probably the one of the most striking another one was the um there's a also a podcast here with um james Rodowski, yeah, Roguski, uh, yeah. um, which I'm not going to play because it's 57 minutes, but it'll be in the show notes. It's really interesting to listen to. This guy's been researching this full on f- since it started happening. Um, He's made this his full time job. He's mm. a champ. Yeah. But another one was to take out uh, human rights in <laughs> in the actual treaty itself. So, in favor of equity and diversity and stuff. Yeah, you blah, know? Blah, blah, all that stuff that you're going to end up being yeah. enslaved over. Word salad. <clears throat> So in, this, in these um, amendments to the Act, Ted Ross himself will be able to say, I'm calling an emergency. And it doesn't even have to be an emergency. As it says there, it just says, need to avert public health risks or all risks to all risks with the potential to impact public health. So that could be anything. Couldn't it can be anything. And, and let, let's not forget that this was the Chedros who overrode his own committee to that basically was ruling on whether to declare monkeypox as an emergency. And he, he broke the tie break, which what, what was what was the, the I think it was nine, nine, six against declaring monkeypox yeah. as a pandemic. And he called that a tie break that he had to. You know, override. So this is, and okay. I mean, dig back a little further into Ted Ross's history. Um, he's a he's a Marxist who, in his former role um, 
as I, I believe he was health minister in, in, in Ethiopia, um, uh, basically covered up two cholera epidemics, which which caused the suffering and deaths of God knows how many, you know, mm. tens of thousands of people, um, and was also involved in, you know, genocide against an ethnic minority in his own country. So that's exactly the sort of guy who you want in charge of declaring health emergencies. Totally trustworthy. Oh, yeah, very trustworthy. Very trustworthy. He's a good, good dancer, too. I'm not sure if you've seen the uh, video of him dancing. I have not. People, <laughs> people will know what I'm talking about if you have seen it. So, um... Righto. Okay, well, guess where I'm heading after this. <laughs> <laughs> so this is this is all coming up uh we won't spend too long in it today we will spend a little bit more time on it in future episodes because i think it's i don't think it's really important it probably is the most important thing coming down the line for us but this is one thing that they're doing here this is uh this is the podcast you should look at it's a video you can find dr john campbell's um youtube channel or you can find it on rumble i highly recommend rumble um, because there's not as many ads, it doesn't suck, and it's probably not going to get deleted. So that'll, <laughs> yeah. that'll be in the show notes. Good so, <laughs> but this has come out in the past week. So this is from the 5th of June, and this is from the WHO's website. And this is what I believe a large part of the COVID um, scamdemic was about. So the title here is European Commission and the WHO launch landmark digital health initiative to strengthen global health security. So the World Health Organization and the European Commission have announced today the launch of a landmark digital health partnership. In June 2023, WHO will take up the European Union system of digital COVID-19 uh, certification to establish a global system that will help facilitate global mobility and protect citizens across the world from ongoing and future health threats, including pandemics. This is the first building block of the WHO Global Digital Health Certification Network, the GDHCN, um, that will develop a wide range of digital products to deliver better health for all. So as you can see, this is being tied into this the amendments they're making to the to the treaty. This is going to be the backbone of it. And yep. if you think... Vaccine that, passports. Yep. So this is QR codes, vaccine passports um, rolled out all across the world. Your movement controlled by whether the little thingy on your phone says you're healthy or diseased. And, you know, and we saw in China how when people were, were going out to protest or, you know, to go to the bank to get their money out because they were afraid of banks collapsing, the government just turned their their green code to red so they couldn't leave their apartment complex, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what this is really about. Oh, it is. And this is, this is what COVID was about. And I hope everybody can see yes. how every single story that we've talked about today has tied into this because from surveillance to censorship to people being accepting of having video cameras in their house oh yes so, and in that in that zero hedge article on that um they it was also pointed out that people who are in favor of government surveillance cameras in the house they're also all on board with central bank digital currency surprise surprise right. surprise and what's going to go really well with that central bank digital currency wallet on your phone is your pass, your vaccination mm, pass. All integrated into one. There's something I wanted to draw attention to as well, and this relates to um, an article on my Substack that I, I just published yesterday. And this is the notion of digital health. And 
um, Orwell taught us to pay really close attention to language. And, and Orwell, of course, was writing about Marxism and how Marxism upended people's reality by changing words. Digital health, the idea that there are digital health products. Can you tell me what having a QR code or some sort of certificate on my phone, what, what does that have to do with my health? Absolutely nothing just zero there and and this this is how in in the same way that that you suck the meaning out of the word woman by by putting trans in front of it a trans woman that's not a woman that's a man in a dress right so digital health there's no such thing health has got nothing to do with you know gizmos on your phone no it's 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 part of that sort of you know, fourth generational warfare they are mm. using now, or oh, fifth generational warfare. I fifth forget. Generational. Fifth generational. Yeah, the, ba- the, the battle space is your mind. Yeah. yeah, and it's it's the weaponization of language. So yep. changing the meaning of words to be health is if you have an injection. Health is no longer if you look after yourself, eat right, work out. Yeah. Health is, you know, we, we stuck a swab up your nose and, you know, the, the, the test, which is totally bogus, says you don't have this particular pathogen, so you're healthy. Actually, it's got absolutely nothing to do with whether you're healthy or whether you're sick. I mean, it's only got nothing. It's almost like, I don't know, it's, it's, it, again, it's just total inversion, total inversion of reality. Yep, yep. You will no longer be healthy unless you take our stuff, basically. Mm. So mm. this is a watch this space, but um, if we don't get up and do something and stop just posting on Facebook about how we don't like stuff and how Daniel Andrews is a bastard and yada, 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 and we don't start writing to our politicians, our local people, I know people think that it doesn't work, but it's already starting to work in the UK. They've had a big outcry over it and they've had quite a few politicians who have come out and started to really do something about it. So get out there you know get busy start writing letters um it does work it does work yeah. and if and, and if it um, doesn't at least hard, you've tried hard copy letters work better than emails too and, and, and nobody reads copy. emails yeah 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 yeah, yeah. delete yeah. um but but if if these mps and, and senators are getting you know 20 30 50 letters in the mail every week on on a particular subject they they know that it's important yeah. so yeah, I mean, I, I think you would find, um, you, you would be hard pressed to find anyone, um, you know, any MP or senator who even knows what the hell the name of Australia's delegate to this WHO commission is. I mean, do you know? Because I don't. Who the hell is this person? Totally unelected. And Got yet making, yeah, like casting votes on, on behalf of the Australian people who don't even know who he or she is. Yeah, it's yeah, just extraordinarily. Um, I look, democracy was always a flawed system of, of of government. What what we have now isn't isn't like it's not even pretending to be democratic. We've gone past that that point, haven't we? That they're not even pretending that that you know we the people have any say in what happens to us. Yeah, yeah, democracy was always a bit of a psyop. If you ask me, mm. you know, I love, I love yep. the saying democracy is two wolves and a sheep deciding what to have for dinner. 
Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But having said that, I mean, look, these these people, these MPs and senators, they they get paid and very well, you know, let's face it, um, to supposedly represent us. Let, let's at least make them earn their keep. Definitely. Make a pain in the ass of yourself. At least we can do mm. that, you know. Yes. Yeah. Now, we'll leave it there, Robin, because I know you've got stuff to do. And yeah, we've had a great chat. We've actually managed to keep it under an hour and a half, which is amazing. Did pretty yeah. well. <laughs> <laughs> considering the the wealth of absolutely insane material that, that we had to to cover so folks there's plenty of plenty of reading material and, and, and videos that'll be in the show notes go follow it up because you got to get yourself informed about this and then do something yeah go go and be a pest to your mp go be a massive pest um and like i've been doing the last few weeks um we've got a little video here i'm gonna oh. i'm gonna play out live so stick around if you want to listen to it, Robin, but it's going to be in the recording anyway. But this is a guy who I, I saw called Jim Freedom, and I just loved it. So I thought I would share it with everybody here. Let's end on a cheery note. Here we go. Hello, Jim Freedom, resident of Earth. Uh, I know what you're thinking. Oh, boy, here comes that annoying Freedom guy. It's coming up here to, you know, I'm the guy that thinks the Constitution trumps your meeting rules. How silly of me, I know. Uh, I don't actually believe that, though. I, I'm, I'm more aligned with Lysander Spooner, who pointed out that the Constitution has either authorized such a government as we've had, or it's been powerless to prevent it. Either way, it's unfit to exist. We need something new. Uh, I do what I do just to prove that the supreme law of the land is a stupid joke and none of you follow its rules. We'll never be able to fix the problems in our society when our representatives don't play by the rules that we all thought were in place. Uh, to the people watching online or later, your anger is righteous and justified. The servants have written their own new rules that contradict freedom and use their army of order-following cowards with badges to punish enough of us effectively, making us their servants. Uh, don't you dare walk across that street in a place we don't like. Don't you dare make certain noises with your mouth that we don't like. Don't you dare try to record public court proceedings. Don't you dare grow a food garden in your own front yard. Don't you dare assemble a protest in a way or place we don't like. Don't you dare travel in a vehicle without using a seatbelt. Don't you dare sell tamales without paying for our permission first. You see where I'm going with this? These are all violations of freedom that you all just think are normal and they're unacceptable. To a society that thinks that these threats are acceptable, that's a profoundly sick society. And Krishnamurti points out, it's no measure of health to be well-adjusted to a profoundly sick society. The few good things that do come out of this building could be easily replaced by voluntary systems that don't require terrorism and revenue generating for funding. You can get your money through voluntary means. You don't have to do it through the traditional ways. Just because that's been the way we've been doing it forever doesn't mean we always have to do it. I'm here to suggest that you need to dig within yourselves, not you guys, everybody else, because I know you guys are just listening until I'm done so you can say thank you and then go on with your lives. Uh, anyways, that's all I pretty much have to say with that. For the last minute, uh, I just wanted to point out one thing that Corey said that I didn't like in a Facebook, uh, it was a Facebook advertisement, and I quote, vaccines, getting vaccinated is what keeps us free to do the things we want, end quote. Can, can you hear how that sounds? Can you hear how messed up that sounds? I mean, I know that's off topic from everything else I had, but it just, just the people in this room, they, they even pointed out the people said one thing about an issue and then you guys said seven zero the other way. I mean, that, that's the way it is. You guys don't listen, you don't care. 
And I'm just here to voice that out so more people can be made aware of that. Because as soon as we reach a critical mass of people that are aware of what's actually happening, then we can start to work on how to change it. Last thing I want to say is fuck your warnings. All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I was particularly enjoying watching the the guy behind him who had the lanyard on, so I yeah. presume the minute taker. Did you did did you he see? Was nodding, he's like yeah. nodding along. <laughs> Dude, this guy, this guy speaks the truth. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit, a little bit of a positive end to the show, anyway. So. Just love that guy, Jim Freedom. I think you just find him on YouTube on on that. So yeah. good on him. No, oh, I love it. It's cool. great. Yeah. Awesome, Robin. Well, have a great rest of your day, and uh, yeah, we'll chat to you next time. You betcha. All right, stay free, everybody.